already been a beautifully full morning. Our hearts are filled. We've, uh, we've heard the beautiful truths of the gospel. We've worshiped together. We've witnessed professions of faith and a baptism. We're going to be coming around the table together. It's a wonderfully full morning. And so I will try to do a slightly shorter message today, not because I care about time, because I don't really care about time, but more so because we can only take in so much. So we'll try to get straight to the point this morning. We've been in a series for the last little while called The Lifestyle of Jesus. I still have my mask on. <laughs> Come on, you could have told me. <laughs> called The Lifestyle of Jesus, Following a Different Way. And we're looking at not necessarily what Jesus was saying, but rather what we see him doing, how he's showing us a pattern for living that we're called to follow. Because when Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him, that meant that we need to be following him with everything that we've got. And so no, no more of this whenever I have time kind of nonsense. We make space. We adjust our priorities. We set an example. Because we need to take seriously what Jesus asked of those who would follow him. The followers of Jesus need to know his voice and be willing to go the whole way with him, regardless of how much pushback or opposition comes along the way. And so we'll read this morning, as we'll read this morning, followers of Jesus need to know not just how he lived, but the heart by which he lived it. So we're looking again at a passage in Luke. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're looking this morning at chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 7. It'll also be on the screen, I think. We're going to be going from verses 11 through 17. Luke writes this. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town, the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, what's going on? Same question we've been asking in previous weeks. What's going on in this passage, and what do we see Jesus doing? So Jesus and a large crowd of disciples are, are walking up to this town of Nyon, a town maybe about a day's walk from Capernaum, Capernaum. And as this crowd is walking up to the town gate, there's another crowd that's coming out of the city itself. So there's a, it's a large group of people that are coming out. Flutes are blowing, wailers are wailing, professional wailers are wailing. It's, it's a funeral procession for someone who has died. And this someone isn't just someone. Luke tells us it is the only son of a woman who's already a widow. In other words, this boy was all she had left. And remember, context-wise, there's a reason why the Israelites were commanded to care for the orphans and the widows, and why the early church was so adamant about caring for the widows in their societies, because they were some of the most neglected members of society. No husband and no children, no life. No one to take care of you. It was a lonely and quite frightening, actually, situation to be in. But then the text says this, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Now just picture that 
picture that moment for a second here. Picture, picture Jesus' face. Picture, his, picture that scene, that his expression. A large crowd is following Jesus, and a crowd has come out of this town. And in the midst of all of these people, Jesus spots this woman, this devastated, heartbroken woman. He sees her, and imagine his face. His heart goes out to her. His heart goes out to her. Other translations say that he had compassion on her, which is very much the generic idea here. But the text literally says, in the Greek, says that his bowels yearned for her. In other words, Jesus felt it in the pit of his gut. His gut was wrenched. His heart had deep-seated compassion for this woman. He felt sympathy and was moved in pity and in love towards her. Now, this is, it's rather revolutionary for Luke to be telling us this because historically in antiquity, God was not seen this way. The gods were not seen this way. There, there were these philosophers actually called the Stoics who held that the God of the universe was completely apathetic and so could not feel, was, was unfeeling. Human emotion to them was seen as a lack of, of control. So it was a value to sort of get beyond your feelings, transcend your feelings. That was when you were strong and powerful and under control, right? If you could control your feelings, you could have power and influence over others. And if God then is the most powerful being in the world, he must not be able to feel. He must be unfeeling, because otherwise that would be a sign of weakness. But here... Jesus is moved to the depths of his core. And there is no stronger word in the Greek language for, the, for compassion that, that the, than the word that is used here. Luke is presenting us with the Son of God who is moved by broken hearts. And not only that, but by calling him Lord, which is the first time that Luke does this in his gospel, he's connecting the dots and he's linking Jesus with the God of the Old Testament, with the Lord of the Old Testament, so that what we see Jesus doing and who we see him being is who God is. In other words, this isn't just Jesus being human and being emotional. This is God's own heart. This is who God is. When Jesus approaches the coffin and touches it and actually makes himself unclean by touching a dead body and then heals the boy, he's not doing this because someone asked him to. Right? He's not doing it because someone forced him into it or because he's trying to prove himself or because the crowds were pleading with him to do it. No, the text makes it clear Jesus was moved by compassion to heal this boy. That's what moved him to do this. And what he says to the widowed mother, mother here is, is what I want to argue, the hope of why Jesus came at all. He says to her in verse 13, don't cry. Don't cry. That's it. Two simple words, but my goodness, is there a lot packed into those two words. Again, by, by saying that, Jesus isn't telling her that she's being too emotional or that her emotions are misplaced. As Esau Macaulay has put it, mourning is intuition that things are not right. For this woman, things are not right. Death is not right. Suffering is not right. It is entirely appropriate to mourn and to grieve when we see indications of how this world is deeply broken and how frail and fragile we are as human beings, that our existence really is. But Jesus' words to this woman indicate that something has changed. Why should she not cry? 
Why should her normal response of despair be no longer appropriate or needed? Well, let's look at a passage in John 20. John 20 is where Mary Magdalene is at the tomb of Jesus, and she's weeping because she's thinking that she's believing that her Lord's body has been stolen or somehow taken away. And so she's weeping, and and as she's weeping, there's two men in white, two angels, that ask her, Woman, why are you crying? And after her response, almost immediately, someone else, who she thinks is the gardener, but it's actually Jesus, asks her the exact same question. Woman, why are you crying? Crying and weeping and mourning are a natural and appropriate human response when we sense and we feel that things are not right. That's how we've been created. It's how we manage the brokenness of this world. When, when wars and things like racism and children's graves and polarization continue to break our hearts and continue to wreak havoc on this world, we, we ache and we mourn and we cry because things are not right. There's something deeply wrong. For Jesus to have been killed and for his body to have been seemingly stolen for Mary was another devastating reminder that things were not right. Things are not the way they're supposed to be and it broke her heart. It breaks our hearts. And yet Jesus there does something so simple, yet so profound. He calls her by name. Mary. That's all he says. That's all he says. And in the simple calling of her name, she recognizes him. She knows his voice and she clings to him. In the simple calling of her name, in that simple compassionate effort by Jesus, in that simple mention of her name, there is hope. And this isn't just a hopeful hope as if she's, she's unsure and she's just hoping that it's him. No, this is an expectant hope, a certain hope, hope that says that something new has happened, that someone has pressed the giant reset button and has paved a way for broken hearts and for the poor in spirit to find hope. For Jesus then in this passage to have an ache in his gut and to compassionately tell this woman, don't cry, means that he is sharing a message of hope with her that he is actually carrying in his own person. That in him, there is no longer a reason to weep in hopeless despair. Here before her is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In him, there is life. In him there is only life. There cannot be anything otherwise. Which is why he can take this young boy and give life back to him. He can take him out of death and give life back to him. Which is a temporary sign that points to a much greater long-term reality. That in Jesus, death does not have the final say. That which brings us despair does not get the final word in the end. And now again, it's only, it is only natural for us, considering the circumstances, that there is and will be weeping and hurt in this life. It is the nature of things, says Barclay, that we live in a world of broken hearts. We live in a world of broken hearts. But the message of the gospel is that there is a remedy for the pain of human heartache. And that remedy is the compassion of Jesus Christ, whose heart goes out to the brokenhearted and who seeks to heal us in every way 
Sometimes physically, yes, but more often than not, it's actually our spirits that need healing. Imagine being the woman in this story. But you're grieving something that's personal to you. It might be a death in the family. Maybe it's something that you've lost in this last year. Maybe it's something that you don't feel like you have control over, something you're afraid of. Maybe it's something that hasn't even happened yet, something that you're grieving. And now imagine Jesus walking up to you in the midst of all these crowds of people. He sees you. He walks up to you, places his hand on you, and looks at you with eyes of compassion. He may not say to you what you want him to say, but his presence does something to you, and you know that he's what you need most. That with him, you can get through anything. The woman in this story didn't realize that it was Jesus that she needed. But she knew she needed something. And that something, that someone saw her, had compassion on her, and walked right up to her and offered her the gift of life. Might this not be our call as well? Might it not be the call of the Christian to follow Jesus and not just to follow in his footsteps, but also to follow his heart and his compassion, to pray that our hearts would beat along with his, that that our hearts would break with what breaks his? Should it not be our daily prayer that the Spirit would help us to know this great hope that we've received and then to witness to that hope by approaching others with the compassion of Jesus Christ? Because just like Mary, each and every one of us has been called by name. Matea, you've been called by name. Thomas, our Lord has called you by name. Jalice, you have been called by name. Reese, wherever you are, our Lord has called you by name. There you are. You belong, body and soul, to him. And just like Mary, you are now called to witness to this great hope that in his death, resurrection, and ascension, he has advocated for you that you would be one with him, that the world may see him in you and may know this great hope, may believe in the message that you carry, Be a carrier of this hope. Live a life that professes a life to be found in Jesus. Sit sit in his presence. Sit at his feet. Follow him with every ounce of effort and breath that you have. Watch him. Learn from him. Study how he did it. Study his heart. Embody the compassion of Jesus. And this is now for all of us too, right? Pray that you may be able to see others who are hurting with the same gut-wrenching ache. Ask for his spirit's empowerment to fuel you and to fuel that compassion for others so that they may see him as the remedy to their broken hearts. May we all be carriers of this hope. 
May we all have our eyes and our ears attuned to look for and listen for those who need Jesus most. Who need to know that they do not need to cry tears of despair. And who need to know that the ways of this world will not have the final say. As Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. Set aside despair. Lift up your head. Don't cry. I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? Living God, Lord, we have been so blessed this morning, Lord, by the testimonies of these four young people who have professed their faith in you. Lord, we've been blessed to witness to the great hope that you've given them. And it's been a reminder, Lord, of not only uh, the grace that we have received, it's been a reminder of our own baptisms. It's been a reminder of the waters of mercy that have flowed over us. Lord, we pray that we would receive this hope with boldness and with courage, that we may be your witnesses to the world, that we may carry your life-giving spirit within us, and that you would embolden us to reach out to the brokenhearted, to share with them the hope that we have received. May we do this, Lord, with courage, with love, and with compassion. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.